God speaks to us through his word in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had, when we, he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. All right, I've got a couple things. One, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben, I'm lead pastor here and one of the leaders in this church. And I've got two things I want to talk to you about before we jump into today's sermon. The first is this, Easter is next week. Easter is crowd participation. This is not, we are not a consumer church. We do not, uh, we don't want Sundays to just be an experience for people and then we leave and never think about Jesus or invite our friends. So we are a church that firmly believes that you are ministers of the gospel. And I wanna invite you to right now be thinking about, if you haven't already, who are you gonna invite to come and hear the gospel and pray that they would give their life to Jesus? You may have family, friends, whoever it is. Uh, but next Sunday, they'll listen now more than they typically will. So invite your family and friends. And if college students, if you're, on the, if you're on the fence about whether or not you're going home or whatever, hey, it's a good thing to go home. Your parents love that. <laughs> we love that for your parents. But if you're on the fence, I mean, I just want to invite you to stay here and get on mission with us and invite your friends that don't know Jesus that may be staying as well to come and hear the gospel, okay? Amen? All right, the other thing is um, the state of Oklahoma has, has sent... Um, militarized uh, special forces allergens to my body. And um, it is, they, Oklahoma is actively trying to kill me. And so I apologize if I sound stuffy today. Uh, man, I'm, I'm gonna fight through it. And uh, so I'm about to pray for you guys and you guys pray for me too. That we'll just make it through this sermon, all right? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this body. Thank you for your word. Pray, Lord, that the word would pierce the human heart in this room. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your power at, in the preaching of the word today. And we, we help us to understand what the church is and what the table of the Lord is. And um, but we want to be unified. So give us unity today. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're new here, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we preach through books of the Bible in this church, which means 
that we literally go verse by verse through the Bible. We've been preaching through one of those books called 1 Corinthians. And uh, I don't have time to get into all of just catching you up today, uh, but just know this next sermon is the next sermon in the book of 1 Corinthians. And one of the things that we learned last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first half, was uh, Paul has been constantly talking to the Corinthian church about division, division, which meaning this, he said multiple times, there are divisions among you or there are factions among you. And you might be thinking, well, why does that matter so much in the church? Well, because of this, because Jesus is the great unifier and the church is one in unity under him. And one of the things that the Bible talks about a lot in the New Testament is unity. Unity is so important. And Paul is coming so strong now against the Corinthian church. He's bypassed a lot of things. I mean, not bypassed, but he's really been encouraging in ways that I would never be encouraging. I mean, you've got a Corinthian church that has like a, one man is, is sleeping with his stepmom and nobody cared. Back in earlier in the book, Paul said, get him out of there. Uh, you got people who were contemplating divorce because they said, should we get divorced to follow Jesus? My husband or my wife, they're really dragging me down. Paul says, no, don't get divorced to follow Jesus. What's wrong with you? Or how about this? They went into temples. They went into idol temples, pagan temples. And part of the worship of a pagan idol was that they would eat meat offered to that idol. Well, if you're not familiar with the term idol, the Bible's very clear. God is jealous. He wants us to worship only him. And actually, also, the Bible's very clear that there's only one God. Idols aren't even actually real. They are real in the sense that, like, we worship other things. So they were telling Paul that this meat's not real, these idols aren't real. But Paul was telling them, look, you're doing the thing that you continue to do, which is this. There are divisions among you. You're not even thinking about the person to your left and your right. You're only thinking about yourself. The Corinthians were divided between mature and immature or new Christians, and new Christians would go to the temple and mature Christians would say, it's okay, you can partake. But these new Christians were just saved out of a lifestyle of worshiping other idols. Look, Paul says to all these things, you're missing the point. The point is this, you shouldn't even be thinking about yourself at all. If your heart was pure before God, you would be thinking about all the people around you. You would think, what does it do to them? And then at the start of chapter 11, there are divisions even among genders, among men and women. Women were essentially saying, I'm not married, I'm not bound to a husband, I'm bound to Jesus, and then prophesying in the church. Men were putting on pagan ritual hats and then praying in the church. Paul said, you, you're missing the point. How could you pray to God and not love one another? And out of all of that, I've just listed a very small amount of things. I mean, this whole book is a book of correction. Anybody that's been going through it has been like, man, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing crazy in Corinth. Out of all of those times, this one particular moment is the strongest and maybe even the strongest rebuke in all of the New Testament. Paul says to them, what you have done and are doing, it would be better if you just didn't even show up. Look, I've been in a lot of church services in my life. I used to travel around and lead worship at different camps and churches and stuff for a long time. Been in several different denominations, worked in several different churches. I have seen some crazy things. I was a part of a church plant that was in this weird, I don't even know how to describe it, and you're gonna look at me like I've got three heads, but 
it was an arcade and taxidermy place all at the same time. Kind of had like animal heads on the wall and there'd be arcade stuff around. I don't know. I just showed up. The guy needed help leading worship. There's been plenty of other things that have happened in my life in a church service. Just crazy, crazy things. Some sad things. I've gone to tour stops and dangerous churches. I've I've had animals get loose in the sanctuary during a sermon. Pastor Josh Curry was preaching here one time and there was a bird that just, it's the only time I've ever seen a bird in here. And it was here for just the sermon. And it just chirped in the corner the whole time. We couldn't get it out. I was like, dude, you've got some focus. I've seen some crazy stuff. Bad theology in churches, borderline heresy. I've seen a lot of really crazy stuff. I have never once had the thought that we should have just stayed home. And Paul's seen some crazy stuff. And now he says, it would be better if you just wouldn't have showed up. I commend you in, verse, in chapter 11. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. That's chapter 11, verse one. Now we're in chapter 11, verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. It is worse. Listen to this. Paul, who planted churches, it would have been better for you not to have had church today. What would trigger this kind of response from a man that's been so encouraging? I don't know how he's encouraged the Corinthians. If Pastor Pat, me, and 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 all of us got, if some of the stuff, even one of the things that was happening in the church in Corinth happened here, we would say, let's get, hey man, we just gonna need to shut it down. It's time for church to be over, be done. There's plenty of better things happening, you know. Paul has injured a lot and he's encouraged them and he said, you're a part of the faith, keep going. Just stop doing stupid stuff. But now he says, I don't commend you. I don't commend you because of what you're doing. You should have stayed home. What kind of response would harbor that? Today we're talking about something so important and so mysterious. We're talking about the Lord's Supper. A thing that's necessary a thing that's spiritual, a thing that's physical, and again, a thing that's mysterious. Corinthian church was obsessed with their rights, their freedoms. The Lord's Supper had become another way for them to promote indulgence of their rights. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for, the most, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It is true and obvious the Corinthians are divided. We know that. Men and women, new believers and mature. Some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. Christians were actually suing each other in the church. There was divisions among them. Paul says something. He says, in order those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I, I've read on this. There are differing opinions about what it is. I, most, and I think I do too, just because it's a fun thing to believe, and you know, is that Paul's being sarcastic. And he's just saying out of sarcasm, like, it doesn't surprise me that there are divisions among you because you are so obsessed with being recognized yourself that you've actually used the one thing that was supposed to bring unity for your own benefit and self-indulgence. It could also be Paul's trust in God to work all things together for good, and it could be both, testing of our faith and proving genuineness. Here's what Paul says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. 
One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. There's a few things we have to uncover as far as context goes that will help us interpret what's happening here. First is this, a common practice to eat on the Lord's Day. There would be a common practice to eat. So the Lord's Day is this, it's Sundays for us. To them it was Sundays as well. But it was a work day. So which means this, they actually had to go work and then come back home from work and they would be hosted in homes. So the early church would host meals in homes and they would really have two meals. And we're gonna hear Paul talk a lot about, we're gonna hear him play on words because of how much of a brilliant writer he is. The body, the two meals of God. They're having an agape meal or a meal of love, which is like potluck style. Everybody brings something. Uh, the house was probably too small, so they would all meet in the courtyard. And different people, much like we do community groups here, they would divide, they would have a family meal. But then at the end of the meal, they would have the meal of the Lord, which is what we're talking about today, the Lord's Supper, which is the bread and the wine in sobriety, a somber moment together to celebrate unity. So what would happen is this, only rich people owned homes, which you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Poor people didn't own homes, poor people barely even had homes in that day. People with money owned homes. Both would go to work, but you can imagine that some would say possibly these rich people or wealthy members of the church would either not be working or like trust fund, I don't know, or they would go to work and leave early and come and have a meal. And poor people, of course, had to work longer because they didn't have any money. So it would be potluck style, and you can imagine those with wealth would bring great dishes like filet mignon, caviar. I don't know if they brought, they probably didn't bring filet mignon, but you know what I'm saying, the equivalent of that. And poor people would bring something, but maybe nothing. And then all the wealthy people would actually start eating before those people arrived. And the courtyard would have been set aside for everybody, but then, there's an, but then there's inside the house, there's room for a handful. So what was happening is the handful of elites were going in starting early. And, they, and then the courtyard would be left for people that are just getting off work. So they would give them scraps. We've already started and they'd already been drinking and so they were drunk. There are divisions among you. Lots of important context here, but this is not the place to stop for us because what's most important is not the facts of what is happening, but the why, the heart behind what is happening in the church. It's not functioning like a church at all. Divisions in the church have now hit DEFCON 1. There was a sacrament that is meant to unify us one to another and one with Christ. We have divisions between the haves and the have-nots. And Paul has to remind them that he's not gonna be able to fix this by just telling them to stop. This is not a just stop scenario. If you get to the point, and really before this point, but if you get to the point especially where you say, you should not have showed up for church today. This is so bad, you shouldn't have showed up. This is not a just stop what you're doing. I, I mean, I experienced this in my life as a pastor. Multiple people in our life uh, in, in this church experienced this as well. People will come and say, I need help. And what would it be like for me to go, okay, tell me what's going on, like a doctor. And they're like, well, I'm, 
doing crazy stuff, and here they are. Okay, thanks for meeting with me today. God bless you. Uh, leave and stop doing that. The end. It doesn't work. Any marriage counselors in the room? Anybody who's ever been to marriage counseling? Don't raise your hand. It just doesn't work. Paul cannot tell them just stop doing what you're doing because at the core of what's happening is they've forgotten a, a certain reality that's so important and it's this, that you did not deserve to be saved by God. That's the reality that they forgot. You don't deserve to be saved by Jesus. He does it because of how good he is. You don't deserve that. That's the gospel, the good news of Christ. They have forgotten. They've forgotten what the gospel is. And so what that's led to is a bunch of divisions among them. The Lord's Supper is designed to help us remember the gospel. And they were cutting its legs off. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We need a reset of what is happening. We are celebrating the goodness of God. The Lord's Supper or communion or the table or traditionally Eucharist. Not just another ritual, not just another thing that we can add to our repertoire to kind of look cool and ancient. It's a meal. The term Eucharist has been used to describe it for years and it's really right because the word Eucharist literally means I give thanks. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, who was about to be betrayed by his closest friends and go and suffer a brutal murder, what does he do? He holds up the bread and he gives thanks to God. So let's talk about what the Eucharist is, why we take it every single Sunday and what it means for unity in the church, all right? If you take notes, now's a good time to start. The Eucharist, number one, it's a meal of remembrance of gratitude and identity. Remembrance, gratitude, and identity. For I received from the Lord, I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, who was about to be betrayed and murdered again, gave thanks, because why? It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, and that's literal joy. Jesus knows he's about to be brutalized and murdered, but he's got joy. Christ's identity is not in whether or not he's gonna be murdered. His identity is in what the Father gave him. The Father gave him something to do. His whole identity on earth was out of that. So now he can sit at this meal knowing what's coming in full trust of God, full trust that what God has set out for him to accomplish will in fact be accomplished and give thanks for the joy set before him enduring the cross. During the supper, we're setting our eyes on the work of Jesus on the cross and our new reality as adopted because of it. The Corinthians were most concerned with their own freedoms, which is always a sign of self-obsession. It's impossible, listen to me, it's impossible to be both entitled and grateful at the same time. 
The supper realigns us to who we actually are and that forms gratitude in us. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. The other thing is that we're so forgetful. I am so forgetful. I say this all the time from here because I don't want anybody to ever let, be let down by how, much, how forgetful I am. Anybody that works with me at this church would be like, they probably wanna say yes and amen. <laughs> I'm just forgetful, and you are too. You are too, but the, the worst part about it is, is that we forget exactly what Jesus has done for us. So the meal, the great table of the Lord, is a reminder, and it is an active and weekly reminder for us that we belong to Christ. I forgot. You forgot. I forgot who I belong to. I can tell by the way I've been acting and treating people. I can tell by my attitude and my heart. I forgot that I belong to Christ. I also forgot that nothing can ever take me out of his hand. What I've done instead is throughout the week, I've made my identity in my job, in my performance of my job, in if my boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse like me or not that day. I've given my identity over, the rights of my identity over to other people and their opinions of me. I've given the rights of my identity over to stress and anxiety and not knowing what tomorrow holds. I've started to worship my kids and my family and my house and my mortgage and all of that stuff. I've given my identity to that. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that that's actually not who you are. That's not who you are at all. Who we are is this, I am God's. That's a fact. I don't have to work for his approval. God's mood, his love for me never changes. He adores me all the time, no matter what. My standing with God never changes. I will always belong to him, and he will always belong to me. It's a reminder for us, if you're a Christian in the room, you belong to Jesus and you forgot and you don't feel like it, but you every step you take is a reminder to go, yeah, I do belong to Jesus even though I feel a little crazy today. The Eucharist realigns us to our truest selves, which is that we are God's actual and very family. So it's a meal of remembrance. It's also a meal of unity and witness. Unity and witness. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ gave himself up for his church and stands as her head today. The church is the only institution that bears with eternity. Nothing else will last. Marriage will not last. Marriage is not eternal. Friendships won't last. Ministry calling won't last. Job, paycheck, raise, not raise, won't last. Bank accounts, sports, none of it lasts. The church is what lasts. Christ is the head. Being unified means that we agree, although imperfectly, that Christ is Lord and that we belong to him with everything else in our life. Everything else comes under submission to belonging to him first and then belonging to each other. We struggle because we miss the part about belonging to each other. But Paul is about to show us that belonging to the body means not just the body of Christ, but also the body of the church. And that both are his body. You are and I am. We belong to each other. Our job is to fight to maintain our belonging. To fight to maintain our unity. Because it's this, man, look. You don't build unity. You don't create it. 
Christ does that. When you are saved, immediately when you are saved, you become a son or daughter of God and you become a brother or sister to the person right next to you that's also saved. That's unity, that's eternal unity. And you probably would never choose them in 100 million years to be in your blood family, but now you have them as something deeper than blood family. You have eternal family with the person to your left and to your right. No offense, nobody told me to say that. Please don't get offended by that, but it's true. You might not even know them that well, but they are your brother and your sister. The Lord's Supper builds that into us. It's communion. We take the meal, it's communion with Christ and also with, with each other, family that wouldn't choose to be family if it weren't for Christ's work. He's the builder of unity, but we just have to fight to maintain it. Ephesians 4, therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. We're called to be eager to maintain the unity that Christ purchased on the cross. We're bearing witness, we're remembering, we're building unity, and we're bearing witness to his work and our work every time we take this meal. His work is this, it's the saving work. He's the Lord of the harvest, it's the sustaining work. It's the preserving work, he preserves, he sustains. He does the saving work. But then our work is this, unity with each other, eager to maintain it, walking or sometimes crawling to the table, and I mean that literally. Whether you feel it or not, it's just taking the steps. By his power, it's ordering our lives to dictate our loves. Now that is a very backwards way for us to think in 2023 in America. We say, okay, I love something, therefore I'm gonna start ordering my life around that love. That's not, that's not real for us in the Bible. We don't always love the things that we want to love. Paul says, I do the things I don't wanna do. I don't do the things I do wanna do. Who will free me from this body of death? Well, you probably feel that way. I do. Keep doing things I don't wanna do. How do I fight against that? How? I have to order my life in order to change the things I love. And so over time, I actually might start to love the gospel, love the Bible, love the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, love the church, love my neighbor who, I don't know, maybe you have neighbors that drive you crazy. Whatever it is, you order your life for that. The table of the Lord is a weekly ordering of our life. It's saying, I forgot because of my memory in my heart, I'm walking down this aisle, I'm gonna receive the table of God to actively order my loves. It's also the way we do Sunday liturgy, order of worship that comes to climax at the table, confession assurance and prayer. Worship and giving, worship and singing, the preaching of the word. Communion is the culmination of that. It's a proclamation saying, I believe the gospel. I'm banking on it. I'm surrendered to it. I belong to a family that also believes it. I will fight for my family and submit my life to them. I'm turning from sin and turning to Christ. We're bearing witness. We're proclaiming what Christ has done, but we're also uh, proclaiming what he will do. Look at this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, when? Until he comes. The Bible is so interesting. It's a book of meals. Maybe you never thought about the Bible that way. But literally, the start of the story of mankind and God 
is at a meal in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. The serpent deceives the woman and the man and says, eat of the tree. It was the knowledge of good and evil. You won't die. They bought the lie, and through a meal, the world falls. In Revelation, there's another meal. It's bookended. Genesis 3 and Revelation, the whole Bible in between. Meal of the fall, and there's another meal the Bible describes as the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's everybody who has ever been saved, who God has ever saved, reached down, and picked up. That's every single person coming around a meal of thanksgiving, the great Eucharist for what Christ has done. It's the starter for us in an eternity of feasting on Jesus. The Lord's Supper is all of the meals in between the meal of the fall and the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're looking to that day when sin is erased, when death is no more, when there's no more pain or disease or sickness. This is a reminder of that day. It's also a reminder of what we've been saved out of, the great fall and what we look forward to. It's more than just a ritual or symbol. While it is symbolic, it's also true sustenance. Like all things that are higher than us, it's pretty unexplainable in a lot of ways. There's a mystery to this table. You know what else there's a mystery to? The Trinity. How God created the heavens and the earth. How exactly that God saves someone, how he sustains them, all things that God knows. We can learn, and you should learn. It actually enlightens your worship to learn about God. But you will never, ever, in eternity, you will never be God. His ways are higher. So the Bible talks about this being a meal of sustenance on a spiritual level. The Bible also talks about that we don't battle with flesh and blood. So this meal is one of the things that we do to fight against the enemy and fight for unity. It's sustenance. It's not just a symbol. It's more than that. It's active participation. Chapter 10, Paul tells us in this, the chapter just before this, he says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, this cup, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, this bread, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now look, this doesn't mean that Christ's flesh and blood are right here with us. There are some that do believe that. We don't believe that. We believe that God's incarnate body, which has been resurrected and glorified, is now seated at the right hand of the Father and will forever be there. But spiritually speaking, he is omnipresent. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is everywhere with us. So we see that he's uniquely with us in spirit when we take the table. It's more than just bread and wine. It's the sustenance for the Christian life. Do you understand what I... I want you to see it today because this is what Paul wanted them to see. We, we've got to understand what is happening at this table. And then all of a sudden, if we can do that even just a little bit more then it matters that we take it a lot. Then it matters that we come with unity. It starts to matter that I need this, I need each other. It, it's more than just a thing that we do to be cute. It's the power of God in a meal. We come to grips with the reality of the Lord's Supper. It changes the way that we handle it. It's not just another thing we do. 
And it's especially not just another way that we can indulge our flesh and cause divisions like the church in Corinth. It's to be handled with care, with sobriety, and with gratitude. That's why Paul has such a strong warning as we finish today to the Corinthian church. Here's the warning. Therefore, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have even died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. All right, there's a couple things I want you to see about this warning. The first is this. Don't misunderstand this warning. Paul is not saying that you've got to be totally pure of heart, that you've got to be super sinless, that you've got to be more sinless than you were this morning or than you were this time last week or this time last year. That's not what Paul's saying. If he were saying that, then nobody in the history of the world would ever be able to take the table that's not named Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying that in this mystery of the table, you all of a sudden have to just get everything right and confess everything. That's bad theology. God is the one who does the sustaining work. He's the one that holds our salvation. We come to this to be reminded of that. By taking the table itself, Paul is saying, we're confessing our need for a savior. In and of itself, it's a confession that I need a savior. I'm well aware that I need one. It's a posture of the human heart. This table itself is an act of repentance. As one Scottish pastor said to a lady who didn't take the table because of the shame of her sin, take it, woman. It's for sinners. Von Roberts says it this way, Paul's words in verse 27 are not designed to provoke an unhealthy internal search for sufficient worthiness, but to rebuke the behavior of those such as the Corinthians who deny the reality of what Christ achieved on the cross by failing to live as one body in the church. Don't misunderstand the warning, but also don't miss the warning. Don't miss it. Paul is telling the Corinthians that their crime is in how they've treated each other and specifically and how they have not looked on each other. The word discern means literally to look or to peer out, to see. Paul says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You remember what happened earlier in verse 18, which kind of sets all of this up. Paul says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. How this whole thing starts is his recognition of divisions. What matters most is the way that they are receiving the table in an unworthy manner is because they're not discerning the people in their church. When Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first, what you have done, Corinthian church, is you've not paid attention to the poor at all. You just only pay attention to yourself. You haven't seen anybody. You've seen yourself. You've now thought about yourself. Paul's saying, discern the body. Look out. See the body. Stop giving them scraps. He does it emphatically. He was like, don't you have food in your home? Go home. 
You are ruining this thing. It's a serious matter. Paul, in three ways, talks about the body in this way. It's brilliant writing. He says, the body of Christ, which is the church, this group. But also the body of Christ, which is the Lord's Supper, the table, and then the body of Christ's church, which is individual bodies. He says, some of you are individually becoming sick because you're not discerning the body when you come to the body. You understand? Poor in the church are being disregarded and not seen. And it's dishonoring to Christ, the body that he gave up in order to unify his church, the body. You understand what I'm saying? The body that he gave up in order to unify the body are not discerning each other. So he, of course, brings judgment because what kind of leader would he be? What kind of loving God would he be if he didn't? This is egregious. The church needs correction. He brings it in the form of some sickness, even death. For us, the context is way different, although we're not immune from it. But I doubt that there are faction in our church between the rich and the poor. But there are often divisions in how we treat each other and how we talk about each other and what we do or what we don't do out of spite or bitterness. Vaughn Roberts says it this way, love for those who like us is ordinary. Love for those who are like us is narcissistic. Love for those who are unlike us is extraordinary. And love for those who dislike us is revolutionary. And this fits with the Bible when Jesus said in John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Revolutionary. Finally, as we close today, Paul has practical words to help a very selfish church. He says this, so then, my brothers, I love this, by the way, Paul is identifying them as family, even though they're off the rails, even though he says you shouldn't have met today. In the Corinthian church, I would have nothing again. I would have no encouragement for them. Paul says, you are my brothers. You are saved. We just gotta get you corrected. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait. Wait for one another. This is fruit of the Spirit. Be patient. Be hospitable. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Go home and eat if you're just starving. <laughs> but this is about serving each other this meal. Wait. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. He just says, I don't want to get into it right now, basically. <laughs> Wait for one another, be patient, bear with one another. Don't treat the table of the body as a place for you to fulfill yourself. Your home is for that, Paul says. This house belongs to the body of Christ and you belong to the body of Christ as well. So all together, let's stand as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper today.